So we say yes, 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 so we say yes. Is anybody out there saying yes to God? Thank you, Jesus. Bless your holy name. We thank you, God, for all that you are doing in these days that you've told us in advance. God, and you've, uh, you've layered it, God, and you've established it in such a way that we can continue to discover as we press in, God, to your goodness, to your an understanding of what you're doing. And we would ask you, God, that you would pour your spirit out again and give us a, just wisdom and grace and clarity and purpose, God, that this would uh, do all the things that you want to do in us and through us in these days. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Open your word to us, God. Amen. Amen. Okay, the red stuff's there again. You could read it if you're new and you have my notes. If you don't have my notes, get in touch with me. You can have my notes. Um, the little stuff has to do with things that we are not covering. Um, we're not going to read every line, so they're there, so you just get a continuity. I'm not going to spend the morning on current events, although the current events play heavily into, obviously, into the plans of God, because we find ourselves thrust into a prophetic, the prophetic activity that's happening on earth right now. A couple of other basics I do want to say is just because something happens doesn't mean God is restricted from doing it again. This is important because there's things that look like complete fulfillments right now, but they're not in alignment with the prophet, the complete prophecy of scripture. So we can't really check it off saying it's been completed. At the same time, if something has not happened, that we know will happen, because Jesus told us that in Matthew 5. So I'm not saying that God's just looking to surprise us all the time, but he will surprise us. It's to, the point is, is to keep us praying. It's not just to give us so much information that we're good to go and we don't need intimacy with him. That's actually a troublesome space. And even as you hear of people getting tripped up or falling or slowing down or drying up in their walks, a lot of it sometimes could be, you know, I, I got this. Don't ever, he has us. We, we don't have this. So we just want to keep going every single day. It's a daily walk. Uh, I'm ministering to a couple of new converts. And, you know, I say that I, even, you know, many years, many decades down the road, it's a daily thing. You don't think it's a weakness to have to breathe or sleep or eat every day or sit down every day. There's things that we're, we're, that are, for our survival, we want to do them. This is one of them is we want to be pressing into God every day. The bottom line, quite frankly, is it for Israel. Israel's in a lot of trouble right now. It's not that God's not there. It's not that we have to scream and yell for him to do something. We totally want to pray according to scripture. But the reality is Israel needs to get saved. The Jewish people, they need to get saved. And that is absolute truth. They need their savior. They need the rescuer, and his name is Jesus, and they're not addressing that yet. So all the grace that he provides for them is because they're in covenant with him. But the suffering, I was reading a book by David Barron last night, the guy who I've read his Zachariah study, um, which is one of my, if someone said take five books on, for a desert island, David Barron, Zachariah study would be one of them. But I'm just saying he was, and he's a Jewish believer, messianic believer in the 1800s. Or, and he was saying basically the, the story of the anointing, but also the trouble of the, that has been suffered by the Jewish people being out of order. It should actually also put the fear of God in us. 
in understanding God is very serious in his, what he requires of his people because he's righteous. And when we looked at Daniel 9, we've looked at it twice. We're actually going to get to it in a couple of weeks in order of events sequentially. But the prayer is absolutely accurate that in God's righteousness, he has to judge. It's part of his righteousness. Israel needs to get saved. Israel needs to get saved. So, again, sorry, not sorry for repeating things, topics, and especially verses. If you've been listening to these studies for the last several years, and I repeat verses over and over and over again, one is it's for our remembrance, but also it's for new folks who haven't heard them. So, sorry, not sorry. Remember, Peter tells us this, it's for seeing his martyrdom at the end of his life. He says in 2 Peter 1, verse 12, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of things though you know and are established in the present truth. Meaning it's good for us to hear these things again because the bombardment of lies and the accusations and the rhetoric on earth is going to come against you every day. So hearing a verse over and over and over again is actually for your health. And more, and then he says, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after his decease. So Peter took the time to write these things down or have a scribe write them down so that we would have them. So the idea of us remembering the same thing or being reminded of the same thing is good. One of the shaking verses, which I say every week, but I'll read it again. In Haggai 2, for thus says the Lord of hosts, which is his warrior name, once more it is a little while I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. And then he declares that he owns it all, and then he tells us eventually, he says, in this place I will give peace. We're not in that place yet. There's a peace available to the saints always, no matter what's going on, but the world is not at peace right now. And so when people you know, want to enjoy the peace of God, it's actually more personal than it is circumstantial right now. A warrior titled God will eventually bring peace, but that divine conquest it that divine conquest will involve violent overthrow of the raging nations. So in order to, the world, actually the Antichrist, the Antichrist spirit is a warring spirit. And his storyline is a warring storyline. And no one is going to turn over the kingdoms on this earth to Jesus willingly. Also in Haggai are encouraging words for us, and that's at the end of uh, the same chapter. Listen to this. This is so good. So these people had come back from Babylon. They were discouraged. They had started building the temple. They had given up. They, they were weary. And when God started dealing with them, saying to them, some of your struggle is me having to correct you because you've been negligent, they actually repented. Isn't that refreshing? And this, I mean, that's for us too. This is a healthy place for us to repent. It's a good place. And listen to what he's, this is so cool. This is how our God because he owns it all, and he's absolutely sovereign, he doesn't have to, for an agricultural society, he doesn't have to bow to what time of year it is. So he says this, Now carefully consider this day forward, from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days, when one came to a heap of twenty ephahs, a measure, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw out fifty baths, from the press, there were but 20, meaning they had lack. They were going to get what they needed, and they didn't have what they need. 
And then he tells them something because he's trying to correct them and us, because he's trying to correct his people always. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail and all the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me. So he says, I dealt with you. He, do, he deals with us with correction, and that's okay. But then they had repented. And if you read it's two chapters, you'd see by then they'd repented. He says, consider now this, and picture God holding up a calendar, like a paper calendar. And he goes, from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider. He goes, think about this, ponder this. Is the seed still in the barn? And they're thinking, no, we planted all the seed. We don't have any seed left. As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive oil tree have not yielded fruit. Basically saying what you've planted didn't produce. So in an agricultural society, he's going, you're toast. You're plumb out of luck. And then what does the Lord say? Nah, but from this day I will bless you. He goes, I don't bow to the, how many seeds you have in your barn or what time of year it is, or whether there's a snowstorm coming or anything else. He says, I'll just bless you. Just turn to me. This is a call to the saints in these days. Just turn to him. Stop looking at why things are impossible. The Red Sea was pretty impossible. I can't remember it limiting our God. And this coordinates, too, with this truth, which I've heard recently. People, It's a great verse. If my people, Second Chronicles 7, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, which is way better than getting humbled, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, his people still have ways that aren't correct, then at that point I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. He's saying just stay before me in this place of prayer. He says you'll do fine. And so meanwhile, what's happening is we're seeing people's hearts change every day as God's, as the saints press in to speak forth the truth of God. I had an amazing conversation yesterday with one of my hippie buddies. Like I speak to him every couple of years and I love this guy. We, I mean, we were in love with each other in, in college. We were just pals from the get-go. We were both like super blue-collar Brooklyn guys and we just hit it off dandy and lived the same crazy life and it's been, I don't know how many years now, I graduated college in 1970, so you could do the math, it's been a while, and his, he's turning. I can see a turning work in him happening now since the last time we talked. God is working on people through the shaking work. This is why we're here. Those were not holy days that I spent with this guy in the past, but now we're spending some holy time together. So again, I cannot recommend more highly that you read Joel Richardson's Islamic Antichrist. If you've read it, read it again. Pick it up again. Look in the book. The guy is, first of all, it's a pseudonym because people would love to take him out because he's speaking truth. He also has another book called Mideast Beast. I am not going to do a teaching on a book that's so well written and easy to understand. All you have to do is read the book. So I can't, I could, but I won't. That's, I don't believe the Lord's called me to teach on so, from someone else's book, but I'm just saying it absolutely addresses exactly what we're walking into right now in Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 10, going forward. They are really good. It, two really, really good books. If you can get them online. You can get them uh, on Kindle. They're fabulous books. And again, fact check them. 
I, I think I say it several times this morning, but there's so much fake news. There's so much theological fake news. There's a war of theological fake news that is in many ways hamstrung the church. There's people who can't address why God would do something or where God is when certain terrible things seem to be happening on earth, but they haven't read the whole, the whole Bible. Some people, they read through it thinking this is like my daily reading and then I get through it and I'll, tomorrow I'll do another daily reading. But you start seeing how God has dealt with both his covenant people and with the enemies of God or even with the nations that he has used correctively as corrective tool against his people who then start owning their victories, walking in pride, and then God has to take them down. A lot of it has to do with Babylon. Over and over and over and over again. The same people that have been that are cited throughout scripture we're seeing what's happening right now on earth we're seeing what's happening there's a there's there's a method to all of this so two things to remember the nebuchadnezzar statue dream revealed a progression of kingdoms that came in sequential order and now you know and then history you know now shows us those kingdoms each took out one another it's not just a list where memorize the list and you're good to go, but they took out each other. Remember when we studied that Daniel 2, there were, you know, the head was Nebuchadnezzar, then you had the Mede-Persians, and, and it goes all the way down, and eventually the statue was still standing there, but the supernatural rock takes them all out. So there are vestiges of all of those kingdoms throughout the time of man on earth, but eventually we know who wins, and we win with our hand in his. The supernatural rock of chapter 2 is revealed to us in chapter 7 as being the coming of the kingdom of the one true God. And we have to even look past the days that we're in because the idea of men's hearts failing them for fear is when people can't see past what's happening and they see no hope. Suicide is up on earth. There's people who attended church 10, 15, 20 years who are taking their lives along with people who have never stepped foot in the church but they don't see the sovereignty of God and what's happening. They have no hope. And they look at this thinking it's bleak. It's going to get bleaker and it's going to get bleakest. And they don't see a solution or else they want to deny what's happening on earth and not turn to God, which in fact incentivizes an escalation of trouble. We don't want to go there too. And also remember as we get into Daniel, oh, this is interesting. In Daniel 7, he says the same thing in his vision, he, as he expresses his vision to us, he's saying exactly the same as the supernatural rock coming out of heaven to take out the kingdoms, that in Daniel 7, 9, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels of burning fire. We'll look into that, but we're going to see that all the troubles that we're going to see in this chapter, all of the bad kingdoms that we see presented to us in Daniel 2 and also in Daniel 8, they all remain active in many ways tormenting earth until the Ancient of Days arrives. So we have to be looking for the Ancient of Days. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Now, remember, number two to remember, Belshazzar was assassinated at the end of Daniel chapter 5. And we had Daniel 6, and Daniel is now being, you know, tested, and, you know, because he was being a holy man, and the evil people hate the holy people. Nothing new about that. And now we get into Daniel chapter 7. 
But Daniel 5 ended with that very now. Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So what we have going on in Daniel 7 is Daniel is telling you, he's actually giving you the time frame for when he received these next two visions, which is Daniel 7 and Daniel 8. They were during the time before, obviously before Belshazzar was assassinated, when he walked into that room to read the writing on the wall, he already knew chapter 7 and 8. He already knew this guy was toast. He already knew he was a lightweight. He already knew that the level of wickedness was so high at that point that God was going to judge that nation. He walked into the room. That's why he basically said, keep the goodies. Keep the goodies. I'll just tell you what's going to happen. And Daniel 8, skipping ahead just for a minute, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. That's the Daniel 7 vision that we're reading right now. So it would lead us to um, conclude that those might have been the first two visions of his own that he had ever received. They're certainly the first two that we know. So Daniel 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts, which is sort of cool. You sort of think, what did he tell us? Eh? But we get the main facts here. But I write down my dreams, and I write down, I try to write down some detail, but I don't get all the facts in, too. Well, this is cool. So the question to encourage us now is that if we're reading somebody's dream, that actually history can confirm has played out. Much of it is, has played out, and some of it's playing out now, right in our day, and some will play out in the future. And you look and you think, is there a validity to dreams? If you go through scripture, you'll know that there is. But there's also a promise in Joel 2 that in the great outpouring in the days in which we're coming up to, we're going to have more dreams. I just want to say this to cause faith to rise in you. So you go to bed thinking, God, I want to dream. But last night I actually got up a couple of times and I, every time I went back to bed, I said, Lord, I want to dream. I had one little something. But, and then about 3.30 I got up and I thought, I'm not getting up this early and getting out of bed. So I just sort of laid there praying, thinking, come on, God, this would be a great time for just a little something. And it didn't happen. But I'm just saying, I want to, I want to wrestle in that area. Because for years, when I was a kid, I was tormented by dreams. And I used to go to bed praying, no nightmares, no dreams, no seeing things, like a mantra. And God actually honored, I don't know who, I, I guess he heard me. And for years I slept like an appliance with the plug pulled out of the wall. But when I, after I got saved, I started realizing, man, dreams are great. They come from God. A lot of them are, you know, God dreams. Look what we're told about the days in which we're living. Now, if you have dreams or visions, it doesn't mean you're old or young. I, I think there's a little bit of poetry to this, but I also say if you are if you're old and you have visions, it doesn't mean they're illegitimate. And likewise, if you have dreams and you're young, bank on them if, if you're a praying man especially. Joel 2, 28. It shall come to pass afterward, meaning later, and we're told when later is here, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All flesh. Everybody on earth, God's going to pour his spirit out. It doesn't mean everybody's going to dream. He talks about the men servants and the maid servants. But everybody, but he's going to pour his spirit out. Some of it is conviction. Some of it is my old hippie friends just looking back on their lives and realizing things are happening now. So God's actually pouring out a spirit of revelation on the whole world. That's part of the shaking work of Haggai 2. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Also, wisdom would tell you that just because someone says something that sounds like a prophecy or tells you a dream, it doesn't mean they're a son or daughter of God. He simply, but he does specifically say that to us. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. And here's the when. Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. That would be now. As we get closer to that day, we can anticipate this. And it should really bring up like an expectation in you that, God, I want this. I want this. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is why we're here to be talking to people about the things that are happening now. Because some people, they have, I mean, we have more bits and pieces than they do. But some of them have the smallest little bit or morsel of revelation from God. They need to hear from praying people who know their Bibles, who don't just have to speculate. And again, considering Daniel 2 for a minute, Daniel's interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream he said, he start, now as we get into this, we're going to see this play into Daniel 7. After you shall arise another kingdom, number two. So we, the Babylonians were in place at that time. And the second kingdom basically is inferior to yours. Then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And, and then he goes on and he says, and the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, and as much as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, remember Daniel interpreting Daniel 2, whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw it. The word, the iron mixed with ceramic clay. The, the word in Aramaic for mix is Arab, Arab, or Arav, A-R-A-V. They interchange often. So you, they're called mixed people. It's interesting that the, even this dream that was interpreted, this is way before Arabs. This is hundreds of years before Jesus was born in a manger, and Daniel is basically saying Arab. He's saying there's a mixture, there's a, there's a mixed people, there's something going on. And he's saying it's, not, it's, going to be a, it's going to be tumultuous, they're not going to adhere to one another, it's going to be different ingredients. He's, it's a stirring kind of trouble work. He's using the word Arab here. And he says, as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. So it's not going to be a smooth kingdom. And in those and in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. He has been setting this up for thousands of years. He's still in process. He's still working with us. He's still trying to set us up as doing what we're supposed to do. So now let's go into Daniel 7. Then you get the first picture. This picture here in your notes, this is not a photograph. They didn't have cell phones back then. I'm just telling you, this is a really good artist's rendition, though. It's all over the Internet. It's a great picture. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night and behold the four winds of heaven, not four winds of hell, four winds of heaven. This is God's sovereign plan. Four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four great beasts came up from the sea 
each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Now they're all different from one another, Ray told that, and we can see from the picture, this artist's rendition, that they're all obviously different, and they're all sort of weird. The bear probably is the least weird one. A lion with wings is weird, a you know, leopard or foreheads is scary, but the guy in the background is haunting. The first was like a lion, and notice that they're all like. So he's trying to, he's trying to relate it to something that we can relate to. The first was like a lion, it had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, implying there's a leader to this thing, I would say, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly, another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and they, they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. Now one question as you listen to this a million times or read it a thousand times is, Who are the they? And they are, throughout scripture, especially in the book of Daniel, there's watchmen, there, there are supernatural people aligned with the purposes of heaven who seem to be around. They talk to each other. Sometimes you wish they were a little clearer in identifying them. Maybe, is that, was that Gabriel? Could it have been this one? Others are never named for just, there was no purpose to name them. But they are saying, there's a command coming forth from heaven, and he's talking to the bear. It was raised up on one side, at one side a little higher than the other, had three ribs in its mouth, which people think there's several different speculations. It could be the Medes and the Persians. There was also a third nation empire called Lydia, and they think that could have been the third. But it, it had to do with a, a, a devouring spirit that had these uh, three components in its mouth. And we're going to learn more about it in chapter 8, by the way, next time we meet. After this, I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, very, very fast, very, very quick, which had on its back four wings of a bird. It means it could fly quickly. You'll see when we get to eight that it correlates to the goat, the goat of Greece. But it moved very, very quickly. Alexander the Great, we'll see it when we get them. I don't want to be a plot stealer or a spoiler, spoiler alert, but it's, it's basically saying, it's, it's, in essence, it's Alexander the Great. And he went a he headed from west to east with such speed over such a short period of time, he was unstoppable. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. He was anointed. He was anointed. Alexander the Great was anointed. After this, in the night, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast. Now the other three are spooky, but then he says, I mean, we get the word terrorist and, terror, and terrifying and terrible. They're all joined together here dreadful and terrible. There was something terrifying about this fourth beast. It was exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth, which sort of almost speaks of a, um, of a manufacturer, of something that man makes. In essence, it's a military thing, if you will. Dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. All of them. There was never been one like it. And it had ten horns. And he's spooked by that one in particular. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the horn, first horns were plucked out by the roots. Throughout scripture, horns usually designate authority. It's oftentimes kingdoms or, or civilizations. And so it looks like there were ten, and it looks like of the ten, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up like an 11th horn, and because of this 11th horn coming up 
three of the first of the ten are basically taken out, were plucked out by the roots, and there in this little horn, in this horn, were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. Mm. Speaking of, it almost speaks, it speaks of something coming up sort of out of time. And I would even venture to say that we could, if you'll read the book of Ezekiel, like chapter 38, you could see the nations that are going to be coming around Israel and where everybody tries to count the number of nations, see how they fit and all that. So I don't know that we know this little horn yet. We might. It might be happening on our, in our day. I mean, some think it has to do with a, with a caliphate state. It's very possible it could be. It's speculative. And I, there's a whole bunch of speculations about this could be that, and you count number of Passovers, and you understand 2,300 days, and the next person has a 2,300 associated with something else that's happened in history. And oftentimes when someone comes up with a revelation, they're sure that's it. That verse in Thessalonians that speaks about the restrainer being taken away, I had a vision from God about that scripture. I really truly believe it was from the Lord, but I've read other things from other people had nothing to do with my vision. We'll know when we get there. We'll know when we get there. There's things that we know for sure. There's things that we can speculate upon in humility. And then he says, so the horn, the mouth is speaking pompous words from this little horn. And all of these things remain in existence, just like the rock coming out and destroying the statue. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. We're not going to end up with a quiet period prior to the return of the Ancient of Days. All of the turmoil, all of the trouble, all the huge iron teeth, all of the horns, all of the little beasts, all of the pompous words, all the shaking work on earth, if you go through all the other eschatological scriptures on earth, up until the time that the Ancient of Days is seated, that the kingdom of God is established, there's going to be trouble. We know there's a millennium, of course. You know, we have a thousand years upcoming. But the season that we're in now, we're, in a, we're going to see a whole lot of stuff happening. His garment was as white as snow. The hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels like a burning fire. Daniel has this vision, and it's ex very, very similar to the chariot vision in the book of Ezekiel. Very, very similar. And that took place, that vision preceded this vision. So we're going to look at Ezekiel for a minute. Ezekiel 1, verse 15. Now as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces. Now you can go, and it doesn't say a leopard with four faces and four wings. There's a lot of this kind of uh, pictorial prophecy that has similarities. So don't, let's not necessarily tie them together. I don't think that's wise. The appearance of the wheels and their workings was like the color of beryl, and all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their workings was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. As for their rims, they were so high they were awesome, meaning freak me out, says Ezekiel. And their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. When the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went. Because there the spirit went, and the wheels were lifted up together with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And then, skipping all the way down, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. So Daniel is having this vision of the glory of God 
in this magnificent, on fire, supernatural, uh, I, I read someplace someone said hybrid. It was sort of a mechanical thing, but it had eyes and creatures. He says a supernatural chariot. When you, you see the movie Chariots of Fire, and the, and the you know the guy ran and said, I, I, I feel God's pleasure when I run. There was an anointing upon his his running, and, and the storyline is basically the name of the movie Chariots of Fire. This is the chariot of fire. Daniel was seeing the chariot of fire. Suddenly, when that rock came out and took out that statue, when, this, when God shows up, it's going to be magnificent. It's going to be magnificent. We're going to think it's worth it. So Daniel 7, we're going back here again. Um, this is timing for the victory of God and destruction of the demonically inspired empires. Verse 9 in Daniel 7, I watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient days were seated. We explained that earlier, what it looked like. He had the wheels of were burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. The saints have already been resurrected. They've met him in the air. That's us coming with the, with the hordes of heaven. Yay, God. We have to keep our eyes on that as we go through what's going on. That we don't compromise, we don't give up, we don't lose heart. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was still speaking. This arrogant, I won't even use the word, but this arrogant horn, this pompous, arrogant horn is still speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beast, they had the dominion taken away as they were taken over by the other ones. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So we see vestiges of these empires. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. These were nations that were raging against the plants of purpose, raging against Israel, raging against the covenant people. By the way, if you're a saint, you're now covenant people. He's going to be raging against the covenant people. We, we sort of stand back a little bit and say, oh, poor Israel. That rage is against anyone who loves God. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit, within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. So he's seeing all the glory of God, but he had seen so much violence that had to occur prior to that. And he saw the orchestration of that violence that he was troubled. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things, which is great. So what's happening here is Daniel is having this vision. He even gets a greater interpretation of Daniel 8. But even here, he's being ministered. He's learning to interpret these visions himself. Daniel doesn't have a Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar had a Daniel. Belshazzar had someone to read the writing on the wall. It didn't help him any because he was toast. But here, Daniel doesn't have a Daniel. So Daniel gets his interpretation from a heavenly, from a, a heavenly messenger. Those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the sea. But the saints of the Most High shall... He doesn't tell us a whole bunch here. 
But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast. So the other ones were troubling, but there was something about this fourth beast. We are, I believe, in these days, we are seeing what's happening on earth. We're looking at the fourth beast. And in fact, without getting into some of the things that I'm reading out of Israel, which every day I, I read more of the, the how horrible it could be. How could anybody ever think to do that? And it's getting, it's so wicked, it can't, comes right out of hell. It's not yes. just warfare. Yes. It's coming right out of hell. It's perverted, it's degenerate, it's demonic, yes. and it's raging. If you go back in history and read some of the accounts of some of the wars that some of these countries were in, some of these things have occurred in the past, but not even all of them. We're seeing something really foment right now. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom. Okay, then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet, and the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up with, before which three fell, namely the horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them, making war against the saints and prevailing against them. And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. He was prevailing against the saints. Doesn't mean they were all martyred, but there's a serious season upcoming where we're going to see the blood of the saints. You know, when you study the book of Revelation, and especially like 15 years ago especially, and you look at the thing saying, oh, these are all the people who were beheaded for their testimony. Think, oh, that was like old times. It's like new times. It's like new times. I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until, right up until, the Ancient of Days came and the judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So it's funny because Daniel basically repeats for us what he had already told us about tells you the vision, now he says, now this messenger comes, and I want to know from him, and he tells us the same thing over again. It means we, we have to hear this. It's meant, it's like two times for emphasis. Thus he said, so the messenger says to him, the beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms. It's not going to be a geopolitical kingdom. It's going to be a spiritual kingdom. It's going to be different than just a nation. And it's going to be different than just an empire. It's going to be different. It's a spiritually dominant kingdom, not a national kingdom. That's, I put that in parentheses. And shall devour where? The whole earth. Trample it and break it in pieces. Now, three critical descriptives that require fulfillment. They're not yet fully filled, but, we, but some of the parts are in place. It shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth and shall trample it and break it in pieces. We still see places in earth, on earth which are peace. We still see it. It's not happening yet. The idea of Jesus coming back any day, it's not accurate biblically. We're here to be understanding what time it is and to be doing the work of God and to be learning to hear him more clearly now than ever. Our response time should be better. The ten horns are ten kings. 
who shall arise from this kingdom. This is intel. And another shall arise after them, another king, and another kingdom. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. We haven't seen that happen. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. We've seen that happen since the garden. Shall persecute the saints in the Most High and shall intend to change times and laws. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time, which is typically by most Bible students, three and a half years. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. So when it's done, it'll be done. It won't pop up again. Then the kingdoms and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. That's the every knee shall bow. That's the every tongue shall confess. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Skip on down to where it says, page 94, the Islamic Antichrist, Joe Richardson's book. So he addresses eight beast empires, the eighth coming out of the seventh, and also Revelation 17. Common features, there have been eight beast empires over the course of time. Just because one of them is not listed in the vision of chapter 7 in Daniel, it doesn't mean it's not a beast empire. The vision that was given to him had to do with a consecutive overlay of particular empires in a particular part of the world. The first was Egyptian. It was a beast empire. Assyrian, Babylonian, Persian, Greek, Roman. It was a beast empire. That was the is in Romans, in Revelation 17. When John was on Patmos, that was the empire that was in place during the days of John. But there's a big question, which empire took over the longer-lasting Eastern Roman Empire? Because that empire, who is, this is Joe Richardson's notes, it, and without getting deep into that context, he's saying, what empire took out the Roman Empire? Because this was the order of those empires. Because whoever took out the Roman Empire, Empire 8 has to emerge out of that one. In 395 AD, the Roman Empire divided into two. So when we think of the Roman Empire, we always think of Europe. Like you go to England and you see the Roman baths and we see all the, the influence here. But there was another portion of the empire that lasted in Constantinople all the way up into the 1400s. So that empire was not yet taken out. The Roman Empire was not yet taken out till the 1400s. It was taken out by a caliphate. It was taken out by a caliphate. And that caliphate continued until 1923 and the caliphate was abolished by a Muslim leader who was looking at Western culture, and he determined that the caliphate was too radical, it was too violent, it was too demonized, it was too crazy. He took it out. We are seeing the rebirth of that same vicious spirit on earth in these days. Going back to Daniel 2, Richardson again, the head is gold, the breast is silver, the belly is bronze, legs iron, and both, you know, a lot of people say it's the caliphate empire, and the feet were, Richardson says it was a revived caliphate empire. 
a classic argument that when you, many, many people, in fact, John Walford, who I love and respect, respect this man, he's, he's gone home to his great, 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 great reward, but he was absolutely convinced it was a revived Roman Empire that was going to be the, the beast empire. Everybody was looking at the Antichrist is going to come out of the Catholic Church. Catholic Church has made a lot of errors during the course of time. Surprise, surprise, so is the Protestant Church. So have the Jews. The argument against Islam being the fourth empire of Daniel 2 or being the fourth beast of Daniel 7 is clearly defeated by history because we have history now. The verse that's often used to argue in favor of a revived Roman empire is, um, is, let's see here if we have it here. It says that the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the temple. The people of the prince who is to come. Well, the people of the prince, when, because people say, well, the Romans destroyed the temple in 70 AD, that it had to be the Romans. But this has to do with what the Romans were, how they were working in those days. And I love it. You know that in Daniel 12, it says knowledge will increase. And we have, th you know, it's not just bad knowledge. It's not just pornography on the internet. I mean, we're able to fact check things. You type in Publius Cornelius Tacitus, and you can hear what this guy says. Or, or type in Josephus, and here's, these are historical accounts about what occurred during those days. Listen to what this guy, he was a senator and a historian in the Roman Empire. And then he goes on and he says, Titus Caesar found in Judea three legions, the fifth, the 10th and the 15th, found, not discovered, but he made them happen. To these he added the 12th from Syria and some men belonging to the 18th and 3rd whom he had withdrawn from Alexandria. This force was accompanied by a strong contingent of Arabs who hated the Jews with the usual hatred of neighbors. Tacitus writes this. Later, he says, after Augustus reforms in AD 15, the only portion of the Roman army that continued to consist largely of Italians from Rome proper was the Praetorian Guard, an elite military unit whose job was to specifically guard the emperor. And then he goes on and he says, the provincialization of the army was true for all the Roman legions of this time period, but it was most clearly and markedly the case for the Eastern legions that were used to attack Jerusalem. So when you see all those pictures of the Romans coming in and sacking the temple, it's not fully accurate. This is actual history. I mean, you can't look at a Victor Mature, um, Rome, grandeur of Rome movie from 1965 and write and, and use it to study your Bible. So that ancient hatred, it comes all the way out of Hagar and Ishmael, and the hatred, this multi-thousand-year hatred of the, of the Jews by the Arabs. It fits history now. They didn't have that history. Hundreds of years ago, when people started writing biblical accounts of what was going to because they had those scriptures already. The scriptures have been basically sealed or codified, if you will, 2,000 years. They didn't have the 2,000 years that we have. They didn't have Google which is its own beast, but that's another story. <laughs> Later, Josephus, who's another historian of, the, of those, that era, also detailed the specific number of Arab soldiers who joined forces with the invading armies. 
Malchus also, the king of Arabia, sent a thousand horsemen, put beside five thousand footmen, the greatest part of which were archers, so that the whole army, including the auxiliaries sent by the king, as, as well as horsemen and footmen, when all were united together, amounted to sixty thousand. This is a map from 2018. This is from my study in 2018. That's Islam in 2018. Clearly overlays all of the empires. Every single one of those nations, and I left out some other graphics, but every nation that Daniel sees in that vision overlaid the area of Jerusalem. Rome barely touched Jerusalem. They, they, it, they were there for a brief period, and it, it spread a little bit to the east for a brief period. But the, the major influx was those nations. Look at the size of Islam in 2018. I would bet you that it's more now. So what does it matter which empire might be fourth, dreadful and terrible, the worst one, world-destroying, the final, different from all other empires' empire? This is why. We're supposed to be here to have a general understanding of what's happening on Earth. One is so our hearts don't fail. So we don't freak out. We are, we're called here to minister to the Jewish people in these days. Most of this, almost everything we've read this morning, is in their scriptures. A great way to speak to a Jew is not say Old Testament. Say, in, the, in your Jewish scriptures. For the Jewish people, they're freaking out. I have, I have family that's freaking out right now. I have Jewish friends, 50, 60-year Jewish friends who are freaking out right now, but they're starting to listen. Luke 21, 25 through 28, there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, which is like they don't know what's happening, basically, wonderment with ignorance, basically. The sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them from fear. And the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Again, Haggai 2, I say so. Remember, it's the punchline of Hebrews 12. That is going to be shaken. Everything's going to be shaken. Then, at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, these are the days. That we're in the beginning days. We're not in the conclusion of this. we got a ways to go. When they begin to happen, where should you keep your eyes? On what's happening on earth? We want to know about it, but you know, it's in, really, it latches onto you. I mean, you can sit there and read the same articles over and over again, see the same videos over and over again, have the same discussions over and over and over again, and they're horrible, and we want to have some of them, and we want to be, and, and it's an opportunity to dialogue. I remember, again, I've said this before, being in an Uber after the, La, the Las Vegas mass shooting. I was in Texas, I think, when that occurred. Um, you know, when the shooting in, um, in Las Vegas occurred. And, um, you know, I have this big bubba driving, the, you know, the Uber. And, you know, and, and by the time we got out, he gets out of the car, and this gigantic man is hugging me, saying, man, I wish you were here for a couple of days. I'd love to sit and talk to you. He didn't talk like Brooklyn. But, <laughs> boy, howdy. He said, boy, howdy. I love to, I love, I like to sit and talk with you. I wish you were here a couple of days. Yeah, but no, but the reality is we're here for this purpose. We're here in these days for this very purpose because people are having these conversations because things are shaking and, and they're hearing the speculative thought and it's, it doesn't fit. It doesn't ring true. And what we're saying, truth resonates. 
That's why you want the word in you because it resonates when you, when you can answer someone and you know you don't just have to vow thy that you know you don't have to speak old English to to, to get the credibility of scripture you know it's not thy loving kindness it, but sing it it sounds good but you know but I'm just saying they they want someone to to verbalize what's happening now and explain it scripturally. I love that. One more thing we the focus on what appears to be the focus of God is this one. Isaiah 30. This is so funny. I was thinking of this just this week. For through the voice of the Lord, Assyria will be beaten down. It has to do with prophetic worship. There's a massive component. I, I believe many, for many, many reasons. It's one reason we've been called here, particularly right now, to Nashville. But there has something to do. There's something supernatural about worship that most of the church is not yet getting, but we have to get because it says it right here. For through the voice of the Lord, Assyria, it doesn't say a, 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 a forthcoming unnamed empire. Like, like God sometimes transitions and uses like nicknames. Sometimes he'll say Assyria. Sometimes he says Babylon has fallen has fallen, and if you start looking through history where some of the lines were, if you read Habakkuk, by the way, before I, I was in your notes, read the first, uh, you gave me that last week, Paul, Habakkuk, read Habakkuk, the first chapter of Habakkuk, it's sobering, but the borderlines of where it's, sometimes it's called Chaldean, or where it's called Babylon, they, they transition over the thousands of years, but it's the same people group, it's generally the same people, and what we're seeing right now is that same people group. We're seeing it now. And so we want we want to know this. Much is not yet in place. Okay, finish reading this. Okay. Through the voice of the Lord, Assyria will be beaten down as he strikes with the rod. And in every place where the staff of punishment passes, which the Lord lays on him. So everybody will get there, come up. It's, it's not us offering it necessarily. It will be that with tambourines and harps. And in battles of brandishing, he, God, sovereignly will fight with it. God, somehow, it doesn't mean we energize God with our worship, but we partner with him in this place of worship. It is not the warm-up for a sermon or a teaching. There's something supernatural that takes place. Remember, Satan said to Jesus, I'll give you all. He's a liar. He didn't have it to give him. But he says, I'll give you all this if you worship me. The whole storyline comes down to worship. So much is not in place. There's no temple. There's no sacrifices in the temple that doesn't yet exist. An ultimate Antichrist figure has not yet been revealed to the world. The saints surely are not yet in a posture of holiness sufficient to contain and steward the power of the final outpouring. That's the work that God's doing right now. This is why we're seeing some falling, some getting tripped up to refine them. We're hearing of news which is sad when you hear of a pastor fall or, or a church having an issue. Or, but we're going to see it more and more because God loves the people. Not because he hates them, because he loves them. And he's requiring people to be walking in submitted, humble holiness. And that will be the people who will be ready for the final outpouring. So even though some of these things you could look and say, oh, those are the right people, so he's coming back any day now. That's not the case. I assure you it's not the case. I say it in the fear of the Lord, that is not the case. So let's go to Isaiah 66 for a minute. I'm going to close this out, and I'm going to go to Isaiah 66. It's also, ironically, prophetically, ironically, 66 books in the whole Bible. Mm -hmm. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me, and where is the place of my rest? For all, these, all those things my hand has made. So again, it's the eternal, forever, 
patent rights, non-expiration. Says the Lord, but on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word, the whole word. He who kills a bull as if he slays a man. So killing a bull was an acceptable sacrifice ordained by God. Slaying a man is a don't do it. He who sacrifices a lamb ordained by God as if he breaks a dog's neck. Don't do it. He who offers a grain offering as if he offers swine's blood. Don't do it. He who burns incense as if he blesses an idol. Just as you've chosen their own, just as they have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations, so will I choose their delusions and bring their fears on them. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear, but they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. He's rebuking religion here. He's saying all these people, burning incense, killing the bull, sacrificing the lamb, offering the grain offering, people like to feel justified by activity. And he says, but if you're not holy and you're not sanctified, it's, it, to me, he says, it's corrupt. He said, all those things that you do, all the things that take place, I think an abomination of desolation to me, the biggest abomination of desolation so far on earth was the first time they offered an animal on the altar after Jesus was crucified. Mm -hmm. That they had the audacity to say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify our king, basically. Pilate said, do you want me to crucify this man, says your king. And then, and then they said, let his blood be on our hands. And the next day they go in there and they crucify an animal. I think that was abominable. It's exactly these scriptures. So what happens all these years? Does Israel need to get saved? So I will choose their delusions and bring their fears on them because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, verse 4 again, they did not hear, but they chose evil before my eyes and chose that which I do not delight. Hear the word of the Lord. I'll open the ears of those who tremble at my word. You who tremble at his word. Your brethren who hated you, who cast you out for my name's sake, said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. Mocking the people who want to be holy, who've had their lives shifted, but they shall be ashamed. The sound of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who fully repays his enemies. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child who has heard such a thing, who has seen such, a, such things. Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. This is very interesting because when Israel was born in a day as a nation, people say, look, check this verse off. True, but look at the context. The context actually goes to the conclusion. All of the things that are leading up to the fulfillment, to the, to, the, uh, to the full measure of trouble are the birth pains, are the birth pains. We know that in Romans 8, that the creation continues to groan in birth pains until these days. Notice the same chapter that tells us about not knowing how we pray as we, uh, not knowing how to pray as we ought to pray, but being filled with the Holy Spirit, that, there's, that the people of God know they're the people of God because they have a deposit. He says, all of these birth pains, all this groaning work, all of this sloppy work, it's going to birth the kingdom of God eventually. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I cause delivery? Shall I who cause delivery shut up the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem. And, we, and we're not rejoicing yet. Right now we're groaning 
and praying, interceding for Jerusalem so that we can rejoice with a remnant in Jerusalem. And be glad with all, all you who love her. Meanwhile, the world will continue to, the hatred towards Jerusalem, modeling all of Israel and all of God's covenant people is going to increase. Rejoice for her, all you who mourn for her, that you may feed and be satisfied with the consolation of her bosom, that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then you shall feed. On her side shall you be carried and be dandled on her knees as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you and you shall be comforted. Where? In Jerusalem. When you see this, your heart shall rejoice and your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants and his indignation to his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come with fire, with his chariots, with fire, like a whirlwind, to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by sword, the Lord will judge all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in, in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abominations in the mouth shall be consumed together, says the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall be that I will gather all nations and tongues and they shall come and see my glory. That gathering work is the Zechariah 14 gathering work. I will set a sign among them. And this is amazing. This is a remnant work of the survivors of the assault against Jerusalem, the final battles. I will send my sign among them, and those among them who escape, I will send to the nations, to Tarshish, which is Spain. You could Google these. We've gone through the list in the past, which nation is now called what? To Tarshish and Pul and Lud, who draw the bow and Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands of far off, like America, who have not heard my fame nor seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. The people are going to come back from that battle saying, whoa, the whole world will have been rocked, the skies will have parted, and this world is going to be in awe, true awe in the biblical sense, in awe of God. People are going to come back and say, I was an eyewitness for what I saw. They're going to declare it. Then they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Lord out of all nations, on horses and in chariots and in litters, on mules, on camels, to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord. Why does Satan hate Jerusalem? Why does he hate Israel? Because he knows this day is coming. Says the Lord, as the children of Israel bring an offering and a clean vessel into the house of the Lord, which quite frankly they're not doing yet. Hasn't happened yet. And I also will take some of them, some of the Jews, for priests and Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all flesh, all remaining flesh, all the remnant, shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Whoa. That's how the book of Isaiah ends. Whoa. Thank you, God. Thank you for salvation. Thank you, Jesus, that you interrupted our journeys to hell. Some seem more obvious than others, God, but uh, whether we were what the world would consider good people or bad people, Lord, we were perishing without you. 
God, and you rescued the perishing simply by the ones on this call, simply by the ones listening to this message. You rescued the perishing, and now you have here, called us here, God, to take out a message to rescue more perishing. And we ask you, God, that you would bless us with a, uh, an understanding of the times in which we are living and that your spirit would be upon us, God. We would seek first the kingdom, knowing that every, all the needs will be taken care of as we seek first your face, your will, your word, not negotiating which scriptures are inconvenient, which scriptures are, are require me to get up off my couch which or put down something that I truly enjoy. God, that we would learn to say yes and mean it. And that you would pour out a spirit of fire upon us, God. A revelation, God. An understanding of a confident, humble boldness that we would proclaim your name to a world that is dying worse each day. God, and again, if anything that was spoken this morning is uh, speculative or wrong, especially wrong, you delete it. And everything else, God, would just build up that wall of faith in our lives that we could be the terrorists. We would terrorize a broken world with the light of the only true gospel of hope. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God. Thank you, you saved us. Thank you for the years we've been able to invest, God. We've been able to invest in you, Lord, and you to invest in us. We bless you, Lord, as we unmute our microphones, God, so we could say a hearty amen that we agree with your plans in these days. God, your people said amen. 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 So we say yes, so we say yes, so we say yes, so we say yes. Is anybody out there saying yes to God?